Hey, Feds, how we doing? Pretty good, man. How you doing? Doing all right. We got a chance to fire up the podcast again after we had to take a month off. We weren't expecting to do so, but now that we're back, we need some energy right out of the gate. Yeah, for sure. I think I got just the thing there. Let's hit it. You're listening to the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins Podcast. Your number one destination to break the ice with your favorite players. And now, without further ado, your host of the Penguins Podcast, Nick Hart. That's right, hockey fans. We are back with another episode of the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins Podcast. Grandpa COVID tried to shut us down. We had to take a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back. Hopefully we can maintain our normally planned podcast schedule in terms of release. I am your host, Nick Hart, and it is my great pleasure to be joined on our uh, return episode, if you will, by the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins captain, Taylor Fadoon. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and hopping on the Pens podcast with us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can't uh, Once again, can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day to sit down and chat with us. I know you guys just had a a long practice, so I won't work you over, won't rake you over the coals too much here on the podcast, but this is also our very first inaugural episode in the brand new uh, Penguins Creation Station studio. How do you like the digs, Vince? Yeah, it's it's uh, still needs a little bit of work, but I see, <laughs> a, I see the potential here. It is a work in progress, to say the <laughs> least. I at least got the, the duster out so that we're not coughing on uh, dust bunnies and things like that. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a blank canvas. We'll say that. That's a pretty apt description i know go. this is an audio medium so people can't see it just I blank a, canvas well we'll try and paint a picture for him there's <laughs> plenty to work with plenty to work with here in the brand new penguins creation station studios we're recording today's podcast um i wanted to, to get the chance to talk to you and have you on the podcast when you had that great milestone a couple of of weeks ago when you played your 500th pro game but once again because of all of the COVID-related disruptions, protocols, guys in and out. You never knew who was going to be at the rink at any given day. I was in the protocols early in December. You ended up in the protocols. Like It was like, all right, the podcast just isn't going to happen this month. But now that we're a little bit down the line, things have calmed down a little bit, happy to throw on the microphone and chat with you here. So it's not right after that 500-game milestone, but it is right after getting your, uh, your first goal as a Penguin. So I guess it's still kind of timed out okay. Yeah, for sure. And then we... We also turn the page. We're in a new calendar year here, so it uh, seems like good timing all around. Seems like great timing. So let's uh, let's get into it here. Without further ado, let's uh, break into. I want to talk about your your career. There's it's such a, a fascinating story to me. But I guess we got to start where we're at right now. Sure. And this is out here in northeastern Pennsylvania. First year with the team. Wearing the C as the team's captain. How has uh, northeastern Pennsylvania life been treating both you and your family thus far? Yeah, it's been great. It's been great. We've uh, you know, hockey side of things, I think it's no secret we've had COVID has uh, put a damper on things for us here yeah, the, no the last little while. So hopefully, we'll knock on wood, we're on the other side of it here. I think it's it ripped through our locker room pretty good. So hopefully, we're moving beyond that and we can hit the ground running here again. But yeah, personally, it's it's been great. Uh, my wife's actually from, you know, her parents are less than two hours from here. So we're a little familiar with the area and it's been great for our family so far. We've loved being in the in the neighborhood here. Yeah, I think uh, that was actually where I was going to go next. I, I think it was, what, the Allentown area or something like that your wife has some uh, familiarity with. I remember Seamus McKelvey, our athletic trainer, at the start of the year, like leading up to training camp, was talking to some of the guys, and he was like, yeah, and I was talking to 
Fadoon, and he was saying that uh, he already is, has moved in, already knew the area and stuff like that, and it, it kind of blew our minds a little bit. So it's what, her family's from yeah, there? Yeah, so her, her parents are Bucks County in a Doylestown area. So her and I bought a house in Allentown in 2017. So we've had we've been in the neck of the woods for a while here. So it worked out really well this off season. After we signed, we were able to to pop out here to to check out a few places, and then logistically, with now that we got uh, a young family, we were able to get everything moved into the place before camp started. So. We packed up and we're in Pittsburgh for a while, and then when when things got going here, we had everything set in place, and it, it made the transition a lot easier. What you said, 2017 or something like that. So what is that? Your Buffalo slash Rochester days? It was after my first season in in Buffalo. That was the the first year that we lived together, and then after that, in the in the off season, we purchased a house together in Allentown. So why Allentown then? If you're playing in Buffalo, was it just because of, of her family, or what what did she have going on? Yeah, so. So up until then, we've we've been together since 2011. Okay. But from then until summer 2016, uh, she played field hockey on the U.S. national team, competed in the London Olympics and Rio Olympics. So after Rio in 2016, uh, she moved on from from the field hockey. <coughs> we lived together in, in Buffalo and Rochester, and then that's when we, we bought the house in Allentown. And the main thinking behind that was long-term, we still aren't really sure where we'll be, but in the meantime, that gave us somewhere close close enough to her family, but also allowed us to, we actually rented out to someone on the Phantoms each year so that there's someone in the oh, house okay. while, while we're yeah. away. Because there isn't many ways to get that eight, nine-month lease, someone living in your house while you're away for the hockey season. So it's yeah. it's worked out well so far. Landlord Taylor Fadoon, Taylor Didkovich Fadoon. There you go, yeah. Did you have any bad tenants? You don't have to name names, unless no, you want to. No, it's been great so far. <laughs> I mean, we we'd, we'd probably would have stopped doing it if we had bad tenants because it can be a headache. Yeah, so they at least know how to clean up after the parties. Absolutely. <laughs> no evidence. No evidence left behind. The landlords would never know. Yeah. You already brought this up, too, that your wife was a field hockey player and yeah. a pretty dang good one at that. Olympics. An Olympic field hockey player. Yeah. How did you guys meet up? How did you, you get together? And you already mentioned, what, the young family? So what, what's the situation with the kids? Yeah, so we, we went to college together. We were um, – I was Princeton class of 2011, and she would have been 2012, but the 2012 Olympics – that year, she took off from school to train full-time before the Olympics. So then she went back 2013 to get her degree and uh, win a national championship, a national player of the year while she was finishing up that degree. No so, big deal. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we did we did the long-distance thing for a few years there while she was preparing for Rio, and I was wherever I was at the time, yeah. kind of bouncing around where wasn't I between those few years. But um yeah, and then we got engaged 2017, married 2018, had our first son 2020 in April, and we are on the clock now any day. Baby number two is coming. Any day. So fingers crossed we at least get the episode <laughs> out before. We're not already out of date. Yeah. That, yeah. That's we awesome, though. see what happens by the time it's out on the wire. Do we know boy, girl, or are we waiting surprise? Boy. Another boy, boy. Another boy. Two, yeah. two sons. And the yeah. other one's what? So now close to two. Yeah, he'll be two uh, end of April. Fantastic. you got to love it. Yeah, um, it's, it's exciting stuff. Given, 
you're a guy who's played a ton of pro hockey, played in the NHL, and she's an Olympic field hockey player, national player of the year. Once again, no big deal. Yeah, no, no pressure for the kids. Are, yeah, the, are the kids going to be right? mega athletes? Like they hit the genetic lottery here, right? Uh, oh, I don't want to put a, put too much pressure on them. <laughs> you're taking the the easy route, like ah, eh, whatever you guys want to do, yeah. well, you'll let them figure it out. We'll see. We'll see. It's it's still early. I guess you're right too. Two years old and still on the way, still in the oven. We'll we'll see how those personalities develop and how their athletic uh, palettes end up taking place. But that's exciting. Happy for you guys that one. You guys are able to settle in, be happy around here, and have uh, what what seems like a, a lovely family budding. You said you guys met at Princeton. Yeah. So this is where I want to get into the the Taylor Fadoon hockey career story because you were an undrafted player end up going to an Ivy League institution, not necessarily known for producing hockey players, but they've been a Division One program for decades upon decades now. What was it about Princeton that wanted to make your route go that way? Well, for me personally, the believe it or not, the goal wasn't to play professional hockey. The goal for me was to get far enough that I got an education out of it. And you know, I worked really hard through high school with that goal in mind and it wasn't until I actually got to college that I realized there might be an opportunity to continue playing afterwards um it was our senior captain when I was a freshman had a had a strong year and then went on to sign an NHL contract as a undrafted free agent and he kind of set the blueprint for what I was striving towards but yeah initially for me it was I wanted to to get an education by playing hockey it wasn't necessarily go to college so that I could play pro. Right. So a big part of that was the quality of the education. So when I began to get scouted and, and talk to the coaching staff at Princeton and then ultimately when I when I flew down and saw the campus, it was it was a no brainer at that point. Now, you clearly took your education seriously. You're even mm -hmm. saying in high school you were you were studied, you were focused. Um at an Ivy League school you end up being E C A C all academic team a couple of times and the start of the year, I always go back, putting together guys' biographies, doing some research. I end up on the old Princeton Athletics page and find out that you studied, and you're welcome to correct me here, mechanical and aerospace engineering. Am I, am I on the money here? That's what it said online. Is that your major at yeah, Princeton? So, um, what is that? What are you doing? Personally, my, my degree was just mechanical engineering. Okay. The, the fact, like the department was called mechanical, mechanical and, aerospace. and aerospace engineering yeah in order to to get that on your degree there was a few more classes that you would have had to take um but for me it was it was mechanical engineering it was that one of those things that you always had uh, a knack for interest as a kid engineering or was it just like oh well i'm at princeton this seems like something that could make me a lot of money and probably will challenge me like which uh, which side of the fence was it yeah it was i guess i didn't even realize that it was mechanical engineering and until I had to start thinking about it yeah. around college but I always loved uh, my dad's extremely handy he's a, a millwright and heavy duty mechanic so he's always if something goes wrong he's finding a way to fix it and when I was younger I always enjoyed getting in there and helping out as much as I can or trying to learn from him and so I really enjoyed the hands-on part of that Love building stuff, and then when I was in school, when I was younger, I really loved math and science. So it, it kind of made a lot of sense when I realized those were the classes and those were the skills that you needed to get that mechanical engineering degree. Once again, if we're talking 
genetic jackpot here. It's not just the athletics. They got a, they got a pretty bright dad too. And you say your dad on top of that is a, a handy guy, is a mechanic. Were you one of those guys who would always uh, follow around your dad and always watch what he was doing over over his shoulder? And that's how you kind of uh, absorb that side of your your personality. Yeah, absolutely. I love to to be there to watch how things got done and. You know, even if it was just running to get a some tool or something that he needed, <laughs> I was usually happy to to be a part of it. Yeah, I got that wrench for you, Dad. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, what kind of screwdriver? Phillips head, flathead. All right, I got you. Yeah, you get you figure out the the tools early on. Yeah. Well, you figured out your tools as a hockey player during your time at Princeton, as you said, you didn't necessarily have the pros as a goal in mind, but uh, your teammate before you sort of set a blueprint for mm -hmm. you can get signed as a free agent. As you're going through your senior season with the Tigers, a very productive season at that, what was sort of the, I guess, recruitment process, the the suitors, the pursuit of NHL teams around you? How did that sort of play out, given that, okay, once you're realizing this is a possibility, this this might happen? Yeah, so thinking, I don't know if it's, it's changed with some of the recent rules and stuff now, but it was always... Um, like you couldn't have a, a player agent basically until you were done playing back then, right? right? So early on, I had a conversation with my coach and basically said, you know, I don't want to even think about any of this stuff until my senior year. You know, whether, <coughs> excuse me, there's family advisors, I think you like to call them. If yes, that's you know, the term now. Exactly. Can't have an agency of a family advisor. Exactly. So if they're, you know, knocking on the door or whatever, that wasn't anything I was interested in until my senior season came around because like I said my education was important to me and I wasn't going to leave early or anything like that so at some point during that year I met with a few of them and, and found one that I was comfortable with and Peter Fish he's still my agent to this day so I let him talk to whoever he needed to talk to and when our season was done he just kind of laid out you know where the interest was what the opportunities were and I was shocked at how quickly it happens when the when your senior season ends. Like I remember being absolutely crushed that our college career was over. And then I don't even know it was within four or five days. You know, I was putting pen to paper for my first NHL contract, so it was quite the range of emotions. Yeah, the devastation of your not just your season, but your entire collegiate career bang over into oh my goodness, I just signed an NHL contract. That's a complete whirlwind. Yeah, especially when that contract's with your hometown team. <laughs> you're, you're one step ahead of me there. How did that, uh, once again, pursuit kind of go? Were there other teams in the fold and Edmonton crept to the top because they were your hometown team? Or what was your, I guess I should say, let me start over here. What was your reaction, not even to signing the deal, but when you even heard Edmonton had interest in you as a player? Yeah, I mean... I don't know, thinking back on it, it was kind of surreal. Um, it took a while to, to sink in. And then the more I talked with Peter about, you know, the specific opportunity there where they were as an organization and, and where we hoped they were heading at the time and what my role would be, it's, I mean, it seemed like a great fit for me personally. And then on top of that, it was, you know, it was home for me. So it was kind of perfect. And back to where I was kind of going before, were there other teams in the mix and Edmonton crept on top because of the opportunity and being the hometown team? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There was, you know, there was a few other options, but, you know, when you when we put it, kind of compared the pros and cons, it, it became clear that Edmonton was going to be the best option for sure. 
and it ended up being a fruitful decision for you. You end up playing in the NHL with the Edmonton Oilers, with your hometown team. You score in your first NHL game, too, to really create the, the perfect storybook start to your NHL career. But you did not have the storybook start to your pro career. Correct, yeah. Um, we talked about this a little bit, uh, virtual Zoom availability, whenever you were nearing that 500-game milestone. A couple reporters were asking you about the, the injury that – knocked you out for an entire season yeah. you so you put pen to paper on that contract and you don't play the entire year what was the injury and how hard was it for you to sort of stay positive stay mentally engaged through the entire and what i'm sure was grueling rehab process yeah so my first training camp after i graduated college um actually was going like it was going really well and uh, we were, I don't know, maybe five or six exhibition games into it. We only had one or two left to play. And uh, this was back when if you iced the puck, they didn't call the blow the whistle until somebody touched the puck, right? right. So the defenseman had to get all the way back and touch the puck with his stick before the icing call was made. So they iced the puck, and it was a complete flat-out sprint back to the boards. The four-trekker behind me, I think, thought he could reach past me and get his stick on the puck before I could, and he clipped my skate on his way to the puck and sent me into the boards kind of knee first. So I ended up with a complex fracture in my right femur, required surgery, uh, rod and four screws to, to kind of build me back together afterwards, and then it was a, a solid you know, nine, ten, 9-10 months before I was back to where I needed to be to, to start competing again. How difficult was uh, that rehab? Yeah, it was it was really tough. Um, it was long. Yeah. But, like, the, the, the biggest thing for me was immediately after the surgery, um, I had the surgery done in Minnesota, and there were two experienced orthopedic surgeons who operated on me, and they said this is not common, but we've, you know, we've seen things like these before, and what we were able to do to repair it. As long as you take your rehab seriously, you'll be able to get to where you were before this happened. And to have someone who, you know, whose opinion I, I valued very highly tell me that right from the get-go, that was huge for my motivation to get up every day and work through it. Because when, when something like that happens, you think, you know, get better, get a little bit better every day. But the the reality is is that there's going to be little setbacks and some days you're not going to feel as good as you did the day before. And to know that the end goal was attainable and all the work you were putting into it was going to get you there, that was huge for me. And a lot of time I had a, I, we had a, a really good staff in Edmonton, so that was the other thing. Um, I flew back to Edmonton uh, about a week after the surgery and then the Oilers bought a bed that we put in my parents' living room so I didn't have to do the stairs in their house. So I moved back in with my parents. Moved back in with the parents. Got yeah, the fancy uh, bed at the the living room right floor. Right in front of the TV on the living room floor. <laughs> and, you know, my my mom had my medication timetable down to a science. She was waking me up in the middle of the night to make sure I got what I needed. And she was cooked the meals for me. Um, I think back on it, like I took for granted how I was able to be at home that whole time. You know, I think about any other team I've played on since then that if something like that happened, you're most likely in a city that you don't know, you're kind of on your own, yeah. especially being young without you know, a wife around to help. So that was, that was really lucky for me as well. 
I didn't even consider that. That is a, a huge bonus uh, for you that you were able to basically move back in with your parents to do that rehab uh, with the city that you were playing in. But that's the whole process of coming back from an injury is something I don't think sports fans as a whole really have an appreciation for, uh, myself included. That's only something I've been able to grab onto since I started working with the team here because I think people still kind of have that fantasy sports mentality. You just plug a guy in, plug a guy out. Oh, he's injured? That stinks. For how long? Okay, he'll be back week to week. He'll be back in four or five months. He'll be back in nine to ten months. There doesn't seem to be an appreciation for it. Yeah, that time in between, there's a lot of pain, a oh, yeah. lot of discomfort, a lot of difficult days, a lot of you know workouts where it'd be easy to quit. The rehab is sometimes even worse than the injury itself. Absolutely. I think it's <clears throat> mentally it's so much different. Yeah. Because you're also alone in it. You know, it's not – we play a sport where you can look to your right, look to your left, and you can you can draw energy from the guys next to you that are going through the same thing. When you're, you know, getting up at 6 or 7 a.m. to get in early and get your rehab done before everybody comes in for practice and it's just you and the physical therapist there – which I will, I want to take a moment to say that the the guy that I worked mostly with, um, Chris Davies in Edmonton, was unbelievable. Like Shout he, out Chris Davies. He was awesome. So one of the coolest things, um, as I progressed, I would get an x-ray every you know, two or three weeks. And judging by how much healing the doctor saw, he would increase my weight-bearing threshold. Okay. And as we did that, there was a downtown YMCA in Edmonton that had... Uh, a teaching pool so they were able to raise and lower the floor so when I was at like 10% weight bearing we had the floor lowered so that the water was at my chin and then I could walk along the bottom of the the pool and then every two weeks we'd raise the water a little bit and by the end of it you know I'm walking in knee-high water and then when finally I'm allowed to go full weight bearing on my leg the walking regular walking yeah I was so much better prepared for it because of how much time went into slowly get there. Like it was, I was in a wheelchair for a few weeks. Then I actually switched to a cane for a few weeks. Oh, there you go. Actually, sorry, I skipped a step. I had crutches. And then when wheelchair, I got crutches, cane, cane, and then in style. Yeah. I actually had, um, cause it was in Edmonton. So I had one cane that had like an ice pick at the bottom so that I didn't slip. Yeah. And then on game days, I bought a black cane that had a chrome Jaguar handle on it so I could wear with my dress clothes. That's incredible. When you when you are in a situation where you have to have a cane, that is exactly what you should do. You need to go all out you with gotta, the style, you gotta embrace the accessories. It, right? Absolutely. Do you still have it? I, I do, but it is still in Edmonton. Oh. It's still at my parents' house. You, you should break that out every now and then, just, yeah. to, just to have in your arsenal of accessories, just show up with a cane one day. Yeah, that's, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> but um, you go through this uh, rigorous rehab process. You got the reassurance from the doctors that mm. if you take this seriously, you do it right, you'll be okay. And everything clearly did turn out okay. 500-plus professional hockey games later, and still ticking here with the Wilkesbury Scranton Penguins. You took us through the play that actually knocked you out too, back with the old icing rules. And once again, going back at research at the start of the season, you can read some of the old clips in like the Edmonton Sun or something like that about some of your players saying like, "We need to change this rule. This isn't working right now." And they all they did. I think a year, year or two later, we have the hybrid icing that we have Correct. today. Mm -hmm. 
maybe you're biased because you went knee first into the boards, yeah. but this seems like an appropriate fix. Do you think this is uh, the the right way? The game made the right decision switching up the I, icing rules. Yeah, absolutely. And I was a, you know, I answered that question many times, especially around that time. And we in college for the you know four years prior to that, we used the hybrid icing rule. So it was it was a perfect opportunity for me to be somebody who's actually played that way and be an advocate for the rule change. So that was, you know, my injury was September 2011. So I missed that entire season. And then the next year was the lockout. And that was when there was a bunch of rule changes that came in afterward. So I never actually played another game with that touch icing rule. It switched to hybrid icing by the, the time I laced them up again. And I know at the time, a lot of people who were maybe proponents of keeping the original rule, they were like, oh, well, it's going to take excitement out of the game. You want, you want to see those guys compete for that puck, be the first guy on the puck. You still have that with Absolutely. the race. I don't think you hear people clamoring to go back to the old rule, which is why I think it's a, it signifies that this was a smart decision. No one's yeah. screaming to go back to the old way, and you have less guys getting mangled along the boards in those, those races for the puck. I think any, at this stage anybody clamoring to go back to the old ways would uh, seem rather barbaric. It's. I think you you get the positives without the drastic negative consequences. The drastic uh, negative. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then it's it's actually it's kind of crazy. The first shift I had in the NHL after I fought my way back ended in a I had to skate back for an icing call. <laughs> it's crazy. It it all comes full circle. It's funny yeah. how those uh, storylines always seem to find a way to play out, as yeah, if it's no uh, you know WWE sometimes, as if it's scripted. They always find a way to get those little details in there for yeah. you. What do you mean WWE is real? Oh yeah, of course. Um, I just meant you know the uh 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 moving on. So. The Penguins recently made a trade for uh, Alex Nylander. And over yes. the course of your pro career, you actually had a chance to play with Alex in Rochester and Buffalo. That mm -hmm. was when he was first starting his pro career. He was 18, 19-year-old kid back in those seasons, starting out fresh at pro hockey, which you do not see in the American Hockey League. It's, no. it's very, very rare that a player is, one, eligible to play at that age, and two, the NHL team will make the decision to assign him to the American Hockey League as a result. Now that Alex is back in the locker room with you, is he still the same kid that he was when you were playing with him when he was 18? <laughs> no, he's he's definitely grown up a lot <laughs> since then. Yeah, it's it's crazy thinking that. I mean, I remember when, when he came in as a rookie and our captain at the time actually like lived with him. So, or sorry, I, w I would say Al Alex lived, lived with, with the him. captain, yeah, right? Yeah, because I mean, I think about what I was doing when I was 18, 19 years old and that's that's gotta be terrifying to be out on your own um, so to, you know, be with somebody who's been around a lot longer and can kind of guide you through it, I, I, I hope that helped help for him because I know personally at 18, 19, I would have been absolutely terrified to be out on my own in the in the scary world. Yeah, you need to be out on your own for the first time. You're now taking a gigantic step up in terms of competition, playing yep. against grown men when you're only 18 years old. And furthermore, you got a lot of expectations on you as a, as a high draft pick too to actually – produce and do something so i think terrifying is probably actually an adequate adequate word there's not many uh young kids uh young people in general who are I equipped to handle so i don't even know if they're adults that are yeah, uh, it's, it's <laughs> equipped crazy. to handle stuff like that yeah and it's tough in in the industry too because at the end of the day it's you're judged on how you perform on the ice and you know whether you're 
I don't know how they decide it, but whether you're living up to the expectations or the hype and there's just so much more to life than, you know, how you're performing on the ice. So it's, it's tough sometimes, but that's, that's the nature of this business. I suppose it is Alex (laughs) Nylander, I guess also, well, I was going to say living in a a different country too, because he's Swedish, but he'd been used to American culture. I forgot for a second that his dad played in the NHL and he basically, I think he was a teenager when he moved back to Sweden. So that wouldn't be that too, too foreign for him, but he is a Swedish kid. Now there's two Swedes back in that locker room with Philip Hollander and Alex Nylander. But throughout your entire pro career, have you ever had as many Finns in the locker room as Wilkesbury Scranton has had this season? Yeah, actually, in in Dallas last Whoa, year, really? we, had, we had tons of tons of Finns. I think they might even have more this year. But yeah, they they love their Finns in Dallas too. So have you? But I will say I have never been anywhere that has remotely this many French Canadians. Really? So that's actually where things have have taken a turn for you yeah, is the amount of guys from Quebec. Yes. Yeah, we we got much more than I've ever had before. How many? So let's let's count them up real quick if we can. Uh, Robert, Joseph, Chapu, Dorio, Domingue when he's down. Mm-hmm. There's five, and I know I'm missing a few. Hootie. Poulin, Legare. Oh my goodness. Um, I was gonna go by position. You just went all over the. I place know. I did. Sorry. Uh, I know at one point we counted and there was 10, so we, we're missing some. We're missing two. Um, so we'll, we'll do it your way. We'll go by position. Goalie, Dorio, Dorio Domingue. Domingue. Defense, Joseph. Biggs, he speaks French as well. So he's, we'll call him a hybrid. Point five, point five. Point five. Uh, Ortiz, if he's here. Okay, so then there must be tons up front. So tons up front. Chapu, Poulin, Legare, Robert, Robert. Hood. That's nine. That's nine. Point five with with Big Z. Yeah, there's a lot. There's is, a lot. Is is, the, is, is your is point? So you've never been that? in a room where there's this many French guys. No. Have you picked up any French this season because of it? Nothing new. I mean, I I had four years of French in oh, okay. in elementary school, so I know maybe like five or six words. Uh, uh oui, merci. <laughs> yeah, maybe Salut. maybe a couple numbers as well. There we go. Yeah. When when we go to Laval later this season, when you be able to order in French with your four years of ice? Nope. No, not a chance. No. I used to be able to. I would crumble under the pressure if I had to. So, Anglais, please. It's crazy how nervous you get trying to speak a different language. And, like, to put yourself in someone else's shoes, when I hear somebody speak English with a heavy accent... I'm like, that is so impressive that they can speak English. And then if I try and speak a different language, I almost feel like too self-conscious because I know I'm not yeah. speaking it well enough. Guys get nervous. So to like see somebody come in and, and embrace it and work on it, I think is so impressive. And we got guys in that locker room who speak two, three. Like I think Lindbergh speaks at least three languages. I know he speaks English, English Finnish, and Swedish. Swedish. Um, uh, he predates you, but Thomas DePauli, who was here, he spoke four languages. Uh, he was just out of this world. But yeah, it, it blows my mind sometimes with some of these guys, and particularly the European players. I think some of them come over who haven't been around before. They tend to be very reserved and shy because it's a confidence thing. Yeah. And then after like two or three months, you actually start to see their personalities kick in. I always say that with uh, with Dom Simone, he was uh, quiet as a church mouse when he first got here in Wilkesbury Scranton, and then three or four months later, he was just a colorful cartoon character of a person because he 
he was never poor at speaking the language. He was just nervous about it. Yeah. Yeah. Self-conscious about it. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, like, try and put yourself in, in their shoes. I, I think like, I could if never. I was to go, you know, play overseas somewhere and everybody spoke a different language, I'd, I'd be lost. Lost. I wouldn't know how to get home. I wouldn't know how to order food. And I would be sitting there hoping somebody spoke English to me. Fingers crossed. Instead of trying to figure out how to communicate with that. I just say it'd be tough. It'd be a mess. Yeah. But there's guys, not just in this locker room, all across the hockey world who have figured out a way to pull it off. Um, you may yeah. not remember much of your French. Have you picked up any finish, given that you say you had a ton of guys in Dallas and now a bunch this year? I got one word, and that's about it. What do you got? Kippus. What is that? Cheers. Cheers. There you go. Yeah. I got the meet the mene, which is what's up. Nice. Allegedly. I've been taught that. There's also, like, Finnish, there's just, I'll, like, ask them how to say something, and it's just hard to recreate it with it's, the sounds. It's like, they're a, hard sounds to make. They're hard sounds, because you not only have the accents, if you have a, a double letter, you're supposed to, like, pause but not pause for too long yeah. if uh there's so many vowels it's nuts but here on the wilkesbury scranton penguins podcast we get a little bit of a peek into the finnish language with a segment that we call suomi says At the start of the season, I sat down with Casper Bjorkvist, and okay. he gave me some Finnish expressions, some oh idioms boy. that exist in the Finnish language that don't exactly have a one-for-one -one translation into English. Okay. They sound a little bit weird, a little bit goofy in English. What we do here with Suomi says is I give you the expression in English, and you have to try and guess what the heck it means. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so you're going to give me... Okay, I think I got so the, it. So, yeah, the expression exists in Finnish. Casper has provided us with the English translation, and, and you I have to guess what it means. what it actually means. Okay. Okay, so are you prepared? No, but let's do it. <laughs> we'll get into it anyway. All right, Feds, your uh, expression that you have to try and decipher here. Mm -hmm. Ass first into a three. Did you say ass? No, Ass. Ass first. Ass first into a three. This is our first PG-13 rated Penguins podcast. The expression is ass first into a three, like the number three. <laughs> Good Lord. What does that mean? Oh, boy. Ass first into, into a, three. a three. These are tricky. Where, what are at least your initial Im impressions? Where is so your I've brain got, leading? Yeah, I've got... Uh, somebody backing up into something right now, leading okay. with their ass. Of course. Into a three. So. All right. <laughs> so we got two people engaging in something, and then a third person walks backwards right and then puts themselves right into the mix. Oh, so kind of like a third wheeling. There you go. Uh, their way, their way yes. into it. So, okay. Yeah. Ass first into a three would be basically someone butting in as a third wheel. Yes. Is that your final answer? Lock it in. Lock it in. Yeah. Well, you're not right. That's I not really like. I really like where your head we was might at, be though. Something, though. We, right? yeah, we might be onto something. We might just steal it and put our own. Make our English one. Make our own English one, sure. our own application. But the actual uh, gist of what ass first into a three means is you're going out with no plan. You're engaging in some sort of an endeavor with uh, completely unprepared. There's okay. no plan for what you're going out to do, whether that's 
a night out on the town, whether that's a, a strategy to win a sure. board game. You're, you're winging it. You're winging it. Yeah. yeah, you're going ass first into a three. Okay. You're winging it. That's actually a much better, a more concise way of putting it, using okay. another idiom. Yeah, there I wasn't going to get there on my own, but thanks there for explaining I, that. I, I think you'd be surprised how close some of the other guys have gotten with really? their with their guesses. We've actually been very close, but this is the first time I think Casper has truly stumped us on okay. Suomi Says. I also, I always have to put this disclaimer in the podcast. He could be completely screwing with us. That's true. He could be completely making all of this up. We need our fact checker. The long con. Yeah, we'll get uh, Pusti to be the fact checker. Perfect. <laughs> Speaking of which, it seems like he's getting more and more confident as the season's going yeah, on. That's, that's a great example. A perfect example. Because early on in the season, um, with his English not being great, he obviously doesn't, it's it's tough to get much out of him. But I swear, anytime it was the Finns in a corner, it seemed like they were having a blast and he was making everyone laugh. So yeah. I had said early on, I was like, I wish I could speak Finnish because I would love to know what he's saying right now. And uh, as he's picking it up more and more, He's a he's a fun fun personality fun guy to be around. You can peer into that that window a little bit more, see the personality bit, yeah. of Pusti, yeah. and yeah. we're we're getting there. I can't wait to see whenever it's a uh, it's fully fledged to to be able to experience all those roaring laughing fests that all the Absolutely. Finns would have when Pusti speaking yeah. Finnish. Well, Feds, I have taken up tons of your time here. We do have a couple other quick recurring segments that we have to get to. We'll bang them out really quickly. Starting with one, we always have our previous episodes guest leave a blind question for our next episode's guest. It can be about anything in the world, any subject at all. This uh, previous guest that we had over a month ago, they decided to go really simple. They're clearly not a creative type. Right. So I figured we can just throw this out there, see where you go with it. Taylor Fadoon, if you could play any sport other than hockey, what would you choose? Golf. Golf, why? I just love golf. I, I love doing it. I think, are we saying like professionally? Uh, yeah, let's say professionally. I might change my answer then. Oh, okay. Well, let's stick with the original answer. Golf, you love it because... So golf, I just, I absolutely love it. Like I... You a huge I golfer golf in like the it. summers? I could, yeah, I, I mean, before I had a kid, I golfed a lot more than, than <laughs> I do now. But um, especially when I was younger, like my brother and I were about 20 months apart so we were super close growing up and my parents got us memberships at the local course it was like seven minutes from our house and most days drop us off in the morning and we would just get as many holes as we could in throughout the day some days be out there you know while the sun's setting yeah getting in as many as we can and just can't get enough of it how old does a kid have to be for you to train him how to caddy we will start training after his second birthday, and I'll let you know. <laughs> there, there, yeah, there we go. Just teach yeah. him how to fetch some balls and grab some clubs, yeah. and now you can go back to the course a exactly. little bit more. But then you have the other kid coming, too. That's going to slow everything down. That might we'll, be a little bit we'll more of a delay. But you were going to switch your answer in so the event just, that it's professional. Being like a professional athlete now, I try to understand more than just the competition aspect of it. And okay. I think as a golfer, there's really no such thing as a home game. Like you are traveling away every week, and I think that's got to be extremely tough. I think when you get to the age when you've got a family, that's got to be even more difficult. And it's also the only sport that I can think of where you are compensated directly on how you play. Yes. If you're not making cuts, you're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. And you got to, I mean, I'm sure it's different for when you're, you reach a certain level and you have sponsors and stuff like that. But if you're 
footing your own bill to get to this course and you have an off week, that's a negative week for you and you're you're in the hole. You're in the hole. And I just think that that would be extremely fr- not frustrating, um, stressful to try and live your life that way. And I, I mean, I have a tremendous amount of respect for the guys that are able to to grind out the mini tours and, and work their way up to the PGA Tour. I think it's it's very impressive. I guess the, the safety net they could have are the guys that are good enough to get big time like sponsorships yeah. and get that money to be at least consistent. But you're right. It is directly tied to your performance. You can't sign a con- big money contract and then mail it in. You can't outperform your contract and be stuck on that for a few years. You are where you finish is how you get paid. Absolutely. I think it's a very true, true sport. Like you can't, you can't hide. Yeah. You know, you can't mail it in or else you don't, there's no cheese for you're, you. Yeah. You're going to have a, a bad score and the check's yeah. going to get smaller. Yeah. There's nowhere to hide. Smaller score, bigger check. Exactly. There you go. There you go. So what would you pick then if you had to do it professionally? Because it sounds like you're leaning away from golf. Yeah. I think, I just think golf would be. Like I said, a little, yeah. a little stressful, tough, but uh, probably baseball. Baseball. Yeah. You a baseball guy? Or are you just picking it to play? I just think it, it seems like a, a fun, if I was going to be a professional at it, it seems like they have a lot of fun. And they... Oh, there's some che- there's some serious cheddar. Yeah, in baseball. Serious cheddar. But you got to be really good. True. Because that's the other thing. The drop-off. That's also true. From, like, the big money contracts to, like, the average to, like entry-level minor league deals like there is a steep steep drop that's true i mean if i'm being completely honest if there was any sport i could play it would be hockey you had to pick one other than hockey okay okay fair fair are you curious as to who left you that question yeah who was that well then i would uh implore you and our listeners to visit the wilkesbury scranton penguins (laughs) podcast archives located on apple podcasts and soundcloud walked right into that one yes you did bang bang i've been hitting people with that season after season now (laughs) One more thing left for you, Feds, before we close things out. And fans of the show already know where I'm going with this one, just as they already know where I was going when I set you up for that plug for our old episodes. This is a little something we like to end with called Pens Picks. Pens Picks. Taylor, it is at this time of the podcast that I always like to ask my guest for a recommendation that you can give the fans, something you want to plug. It can be anything on God's green earth. Anything in the world that you're super into lately, something you think needs a little bit of love, might be underappreciated, you can go anywhere. Anything that you're like, you know what? This this is something that people should know about. What is your pen's pick? Okay, I'm going to go. I think if, if people know, then they won't be surprised. But if people don't know, there's been a lot of hype recently. But I think Ted Lasso might be one oh. of the best television shows ever. Spectacular unbelievable you're the first person to come on and give ted lasso a shout out and it is well deserved absolutely like i i got into it and then like my my family and circle of friends away from hockey in the off season talk about it all the time and then if i like make reference to it or something it's shocking to me how many people haven't seen it yet right i cannot give a more glowing recommendation for a television show and i don't know if there is a better wholesome character ever than Ted Lasso himself. Theodore Lasso. He's unbelievable. And it's also because this show is way better than it ever has the right to be. A show that is made based on a commercial 
from six or seven years ago mm-hmm. to then turn it into a, a full-length show about an American football coach who goes to an EPL team to coach soccer, it should not be good. And not only is it good, it is spectacular. Honestly, it is tremendous. Like, there just are so many characters that you're pulling for. You just like keep expect. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it for people, but it is. It's worth the watch. Enjoy it for yourselves. Go on that journey yourself. I've had the same experience as you, Feds, where for a show that it seems like everyone is talking about, not nearly enough people have seen it. Correct. Yeah. yeah so that's a great way of putting it. We have our little believe sign over here in the office hung up above the door. There you go. Everyone in the office is like, what is going on? What is this Ted Lasso? Oh, I, have, oh, I haven't seen it. And it seems like once every like three weeks or once every month, a new person in the office comes in and is like, hey, I watched Ted Lasso. I loved it. And their huge smile on their face. Exactly. All they want to yes. do is talk about it. And then the next person will come in three weeks later and be like, hey. I watched Ted Lasso. Like when somebody tells me they're going to start watching it, I'm like, I'm so excited for you. I'm happy for for you. Yes. You're going to love it. It's great. So that's a great Penn's pick, Ted Lasso. If you have not checked out Ted Lasso, folks, I will echo uh, Taylor's recommendation there. My Penn's pick, this might be one we've done before, but my memory is fading as I age. So you'll have to forgive me if I've given this a Penn's pick in the past. But I'm going to give a huge, huge shout out to Touch Tunes Machines. You know the Touch Tunes feds? Nope. That glowing purple and blue screen at the end of the bar where you can pick your own songs that play in the bar or restaurant. Okay. Okay. I am a Touch Tunes fiend. And as things uh, sort of opened up again for a little bit, I know we're sort of dialing back or going back into more restrictive protocols and things like that. But when things started to open up again, I rediscovered my love for Touch Tunes. My bank account does not love how much I love touch tunes. I might spend more on the touch tunes than I actually do at the bar. You get the people going. You get the good vibes pumping. You can't beat it. Do what makes you happy. If I were to ever run for office, and I never will, but if I ever were to, my platform would be touch tunes machines every bar in America. Every single one. They should all have them. That's how you get the party started is the touch tunes. I'll get you some votes. Next time you're, you're looking around and you see that abandoned glowing machine in the corner download the app or you can be uh, a caveman and physically put money into it pick some songs and see how the bar responds all right sounds good place will be jumping perfect (laughs) (laughs) well you have a young family at home mr fadoon so i will finally let you off the hook as we conclude this episode of the wilkesbury scranton penguins podcast it's been great to be back on the podcast after a little forced hiatus there but i was so happy that we were able to come back and have you as our guest and give you a chance to to tell the fans your story of what's been a fantastic career a very belated congratulations on 500 professional games played and congrats on scoring your first goal as a penguin here's to many more eh? yeah cheers thanks again for having me that's taylor fadoon i am nick hart ladies and gentlemen once again we don't really know how the schedule is going to shake out to the rest of the season but we hope to be back on a more routine release We'll see you hopefully in two more weeks with another episode of the Penguins podcast. As always, thanks for listening, folks. Mm -hmm.